Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is uh, a joy to uh, be with you this morning. Um, and it's, I love watching the, the little folks uh, scatter across. and uh, it's, a, it's a great joy. <clears throat> Babies mean new life, right? Um, man, that's what we get to talk about today is uh, new life. Um, God of restoration. And uh, I'm, by God's grace, we've made it to this point, uh, our last Sunday in the book of Amos. Uh, we've, we've taken our time. Uh, we've, we've walked through this prophecy. We've uh, looked at a lot, of, uh, a lot of judgment the last couple of weeks, and uh, it has been a journey indeed. Uh, if you've missed any of those sermons, if you uh, you want to catch up on uh, what has taken place. Uh, we have all of our sermons on Spotify and also on our YouTube page. Um, as a reminder, uh, next week we're going to start the season of Advent. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what Advent is next week. Uh, but I'm going to be sending out some important resources, some very helpful things in uh, regards to what the season of Advent means, and uh, some recommended resources, some devotions uh, for you to, uh, to use uh, during the season. So if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, let me just highly encourage you to make sure that you do, if you, especially if you plan uh, to be with us during the season. Um, don't want you to miss out on anything that we're, we're sharing um, I want to also kind of circle back to uh, the way we started our service this morning. Uh, for y'all that don't know, uh, we commissioned Kat as a church uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, and she went to Sweden. Um, she had been with us from the very beginning. She helped uh, lead our um, zero through three kids ministry, and uh, she, the Lord had called her to be a missionary uh, in Sweden, and we, with very much eagerness, we said uh, we would love to support you. We would love to be your sending church. And so uh, what she's going to be doing uh, while she's there is continuing to send updates uh, so that way you see her face. Uh, you can, uh, we want to keep her on your, your minds, your, your heart, uh, so that way you, you know and you really are, you feel uh, called to, to pray for her. Um, as uh, Kelly said, grab one of those uh, prayer cards, uh, keep that with you, put it on your fridge, and, uh, you know, especially parents, you know, te- teach your, your kids during this time that, you know, a lot of times, especially as Americans, we, we keep our eyes on, on America and what's happening here. We forget about what God is doing all over the globe. And so we want to keep that on the forefront of our minds and remember uh, that God isn't just uh, saving a specific uh, people group. Uh, he has called people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, which we will actually look at today. So I uh, just want to reiterate that, emphasize that uh, for you as well. Let's get to our text. Um, as I said, we're in the last section, last portion of Amos. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 9. Verses 11 through 15 today. 11 through 15. If you're new to the Bible, Amos is in the Old Testament. Uh, You can ask somebody beside you, check your concordance. You're uh, in the front and uh, it will guide you directly to the specific page number in your Bible. Uh, If you need a Bible, uh, we have some in the back. You can raise your hand. You can get up and go get one. You won't offend me at all. Uh, but we would love to have that text in front of you. Mark up your Bible. Uh, keep it highlighted. Uh, circle words that uh, really stand out to you so that way you can go back there. I don't want you to remember my words. I want you to remember the words of the Lord today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Amos 9, 11 through 15 for us. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to, to help us in this time. Uh, and then we will uh, look at this text today. Amos 9, 11 through 15 reads this. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, 
and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities that inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the kindness that you've displayed in giving us your word. Lord, you have not left us to, to wonder, to, to wander in this life, uh, trying to figure out, well, God, what would you have for us? You, you've given us instruction. You've given us uh, the, the historical accounts of those that have gone before us. So we praise your name for that. Father, uh, we need your help today. Father, I ask that each person that is gathered here would leave different than they walked in, that those that are prideful, that are arrogant, that are hostile to you would be humbled, that those that may be weary would be encouraged, and that each one of us would be made new and transformed. Father, I ask that what we know not, you would teach us. What we are not, you would make us. What we have not, you would give us by your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. So if there's one thing that the book of Amos has reminded me personally, it's that the problem of sin is not limited to the 21st century. Uh, we're not living in our day in a peculiar time where that is totally foreign to the human experience. We often hear of the good old days, right? And brothers and sisters, I have done my historical research, and since the fall of man in Genesis 3, sin has dominated our spheres. And when... Humanity's history is faced with the reality of sin. We see the disastrous results when we are left to our own decisions. And see, that's because sin is within us. And as long as we have humanity in our current state, as we wait for the return of our King to restore and make things fully new, we will be faced with the reality of living in a sinful world, uh, repeatedly affected by our own sins and also affected by the sins of others. Uh, there's collateral damage of our sins. But let me encourage you that this will not always be the case. And today in our text, we see God's plan of restoration on full display. Um, in the Oxford Dictionary, the word restoration is defined as the act of returning something to its correct place, condition, or owner. I, I love this, right? It, it, returning something to its correct place. And then I, I love the fact the owner. The owner here. Because God indeed is the owner of His creation. And we see that in God's plan of restoration, He indeed is returning His people to their correct place in Him, their Creator. The title of today's sermon is The God of Restoration. And my goal today is to make four affirmations of God's character regarding his plan of restoration as we look at this final portion of Amos. I'll give you the four affirmations here. Uh, we'll circle back around to them as we approach them in the text, but let me give you these four headings. One, God is active in restoration. God is active in restoration. Two, God is inclusive in restoration. God is inclusive in restoration. 
Number three, God is munificent in restoration. He is munificent in restoration. Number four is that God's plan of restoration is eternal. It's eternal. So let's look at the first affirmation. This is going to be the longest of the four. Uh, so if, if, if this will take a little bit longer. Don't think like, man, if he takes this long for each four of these headings, man, we're going to be here all afternoon. We might be, but uh, nevertheless, uh, this is going to be the shortest. Or this will be the longest, sorry. So let's look here in verse 11. He says, in that day, I will raise up. The booth of David that is fallen. I will repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Let's stop there. This phrase, in that day, can be used of events near uh, at hand, right? Something that's uh, about to happen very soon. But most often it, uh, it refers to times in the future. Um, the prophets would often use this phrase when they themselves were kind of unsure of the exact specific time that the events that they were foretelling would actually take place. They would say, well, well, in that day, in that day. So the most important thing that we are to notice here is that a time is coming when God will raise up the booth of David. He says that he will also repair its breaches. He also says here, I will rebuild what is taking place. But we've got to know the significance of this message. And in order to do that, we must answer the question, well, what is the booth of David and why is the booth of David important? Um, simply put, the booth of David can be read the house of David, or rather the family of David. Think King David and David and Goliath throughout the scriptural narrative. But here we also get into the theological category of covenants. And a covenant is a word that describes an agreement or a promise or a, a vow uh, to one or another. Uh, one of the best examples that we have in our culture, in our day and time of a covenant is the marriage covenant, right? Uh, two parties, they, they come together, they vow to one another, they make certain promises to one another, and they say, hey, we're, we're going to do this for the rest of our life. We're, we're committed to one another till death do us part. And we've made a covenant. We've entered into the covenant of marriage in the same way we see covenants throughout scripture that show us how God has committed himself to a specific people um, now we're not going to have time to do an extensive uh, study on the covenants today I want to stick to our text but I do think a brief survey will be helpful for us in order to really see the gravity of what's being said here. I want us to really take, uh, I want us to, to really grasp the, the covenant theology that's being presented, okay? So I'm going to give us a quick uh, overview of just the, the covenants, the major covenants that are laid out in Scripture. Uh, first, you might be familiar with this, you've got the Adamic covenant. Um, this is the covenant that God makes with Adam in the Garden of Eden. And essentially what he tells Adam, he says, hey, if you obey me, then your blessing will be secured. Uh, you will be blessed if you obey. Uh, I'm going to give you some options. And if you choose this, you're going to be blessed. Adam failed and thus brought sin into the world, which has affected each person, all of us, every single human being thereafter. But nevertheless, God still showed mercy. And then in Genesis 3.15, we see God promising to do what? To restore what had been broken, what had been destroyed. He says, I'm going to send an offspring 
through the seed of Adam and Eve. It's going to come through Eve. He says, I'm going to send a seed. I'm going to send this person, and this person is going to crush the serpent's head. Essentially saying, he's going to destroy the works of the devil. Sin and death will be no more. God says, I will do that. I will indeed fix what was wrong. Second, we see the Noahic covenant. Uh, This covenant was made between God and Noah after God destroyed everyone in the world except Noah and Noah's family. He, a specific people, he said, there's no one else that I'm going to save here except for you. Most of you know the, the story of Noah and the ark. The world had become so wicked and rebellious. God said, there's no other way. I've got to destroy this, but I will indeed save a remnant. Then God makes a covenant with Noah. He promises uh, that the human race would not be annihilated again until the plan of redemption through the offspring of the woman was fulfilled. He seals this promise with a rainbow. He says, hey, I'm never going to flood the earth again. The rainbow is the symbol of and seal, the visual sign of that covenant. Uh, Thirdly, we get to then the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, If you've been at Bible study, which this is another reason and an encouragement to be there, uh, but we've looked at this the last couple of weeks because it's in the portion of Scripture we're studying. But here, after the sin of humanity was in overdrive again, God calls what? One man, Abraham, but he doesn't just call him. He says, I'm going to bless your family. There was a people group. There was a specific group of people. But he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. He tells Abraham in his very old age, he says, hey, you're going to be the father of many, many, many children. You're going to have uh, tons of kids. Abraham didn't have any kids. He was also very old. So Abraham's like, yeah, okay, sure. His wife was barren. A whole other topic. God says, I'm going to do this for you. I am going going to be the one that acts. He said, and through your family, I'm going to bless the entire world. It's going to be a blessing. Not, it's not just going to be you're going to benefit from it, but many people will benefit from this. Fourth, there's the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, this is one of the most complex covenants because it covers the exodus of God's people. It covers the sealing of the Old Covenant. Uh, it covers the giving of the Ten Commandments, the law. Uh, We see how that was unfolded. Uh, And then it also covers the Old Covenant rituals. Very complex and extensive covenant there, but it's just another way where God says, hey, this is the covenant I'm going to make with you. I'm going to be faithful to a specific people, and this is going to be the way that the promise will be unfolded. Fifth, we see the Davidic covenants which is spoke about here in our text. The booth of David. The house of David. I will restore. I will rebuild. I want to spend a little more time here because it's specifically in our text. But this goes back to the promise of victory over Satan coming through Adam and Eve's offspring. Um, But then it adds the feature that the victory will come as a king. There will be a conqueror. There will be one that will be the the king of kings, the Lord of all lords. That child would conquer sin and death once and for all would be from the lineage of King David. Uh, If you look at 1 Chronicles 17, 7 through 15. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it for us, but I think it's important to kind of see what happens here and how this comes to pass. 1 Chronicles 17, 7 through 15. You can look it up. You can write it down, look it up later. Let me read this for us. 
So God is talking to Nathan here. Okay, so he's, Nathan is going to provide this kind of prophecy to David that he heard from the Lord. And here's the promise that's made to David. He says, now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, once again the Lord talking to Nathan, saying, hey, go tell David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. We're all probably familiar with David's origins, right? He was a shepherd boy. God called him to then defeat Goliath as a representation And then he says in verse 8, he says, And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies before you. I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. He says, I will appoint a place for my Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. He says, and violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will subdue all your enemies. I mean, just listen to the, the, the Lord at work here, the activity of God. He says, moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. Then he gets in verse 11 and he says, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Basically saying like, when you die, when when you go to lay with the fathers, I will raise up an offspring, one of your own sons. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. We've got some pictures of the, uh, what was going to transpire then with Solomon. Then we see here in e, uh, eschatological uh, a future view of the eternal kingdom. The word forever is important there. But he says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. His throne shall be established forever. And then in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke it to David. So essentially, in uh, other words, Nathan uh, is, hears from the Lord that David will receive a king from his lineage, but it will be the work of the Lord. God says the true king, the Messiah that will be established forever will come through this king. And there's no surprises here, right? No like surprise ending. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about King Jesus here. These promises the people of Israel were vitally important. Like, it it was very important for them. They remembered it. These are the stories that the parents told their children, passed down from generation to generation. Uh, They took them very seriously. Uh, This is why the Gospel of Matthew, you ever wondered why like the Gospel of Matthew starts off with a genealogy? Kind of like the, okay, well, why are we putting this here, right? I thought that was just some Old Testament stuff. But Matthew's audience is actually Jewish Christians. Uh, He wants them to be converted to Christianity. So what Matthew wants to do is he wants to present uh, Jesus Christ as the promised king of The world, the king of kings, through the lineage of David. Matthew 1 1 starts like this, right? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, This is important then. It's important now. See, we must understand that the Bible, from beginning to the end, is a book that shows sinners are in need of a Savior. And that Savior has always been Jesus Christ. We mess it up. We drop the ball. 
we cannot save ourselves, Jesus does. God's plan, God's active plan of salvation, which then brings us to the final covenant, the new covenant. Uh, The new covenant is also referred to as the Christ covenant because the new covenant finds its fulfillment in and finally, ultimately, in Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfills all other covenants. He is what they, they promise. It's what the Old Testament promised, the fulfillment of the Messiah that would come. He perfectly atones for the sins of those who by faith trust in His work alone for the fulfillment of all the requirements of the covenants of the old. So the covenants of work and do this, get blessed, dismantled. It's all in Christ. Biblical scholar uh, Dr. Keith Matheson beautifully sums it up like this. He says, The people of God are now defined in terms of their relation to Jesus rather than their relation to Israel. The promised land is now defined in terms of the entire creation rather than a piece of real estate on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. The temple is now defined in terms of Jesus Christ and His people rather than a building of stone and mortar. The ceremonial laws are now defined in terms of the atoning death of Christ rather than the blood of bulls and goats. See, all of these covenants, all of the Old Testament prophecies, everything throughout Scripture points to Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. And see, understanding the covenants helps us to understand much about God's character. See, unlike sinful humanity, God is a God who keeps His promises. Amen? I drop the ball often. I want my yeses to be yes, my noes to be no, but sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I overcommit myself. But there's no overcommitment with God. God indeed will fulfill all that He has said He will. Never fails. He finishes what He starts. Maybe you're one of those people that like to start books. You just never quite get to that final chapter because you start the next one that someone recommended, right? Or, or maybe you, you don't finish those home projects that you start. Maybe you never finish the things, the meetings, the whatever, insert, fill in the blank, whatever it is with you. But that is not God. Maybe you've been in a family where you have just been riddled with broken promises. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you that God is not the God of broken promises. God is the God who fulfills and ensures what He says. If you remember, God chose Israel to be His people. He made a covenant with them. They had done nothing to earn God's favor. They had done nothing at all to to earn any blessings But instead, their response to the blessings of God was actually one of rebellion and disobedience. They rebelled against God. I mean, I think we've learned that through this study. I mean, these people were were a mess. They were just habitually rebellious. But church, we must take notice here that even though Israel had abandoned God, God had not abandoned Israel. Israel. And that is a beautiful reminder to us all today. Yes, there will be judgment on account of their disobedience, and the people of Israel will actually be enslaved by Assyria in around 722 BC. But in his mercy, in his kindness, in his divine plan of salvation, God says, hey, I will raise up, I will rebuild, I will repair. See, God's plan of restoration 
could not and cannot be thwarted by humanity's sinfulness because it is God who does the work of restoration. It is God who is at work. And I I don't know if you are, but I can just account for myself. And I am highly aware that if I had not been saved by God, I would not and could not have saved myself. Maybe you're walking around thinking God owes you something. Maybe you've lived a a, a good life and like, well, why wouldn't God save me? And let, let me bring you to some points of humility. There's none who are righteous before holy creator God. God owes us nothing. But in his grace, in his kindness, in his plan of salvation, because he will not deny himself, Because he's promised Jesus Christ a a, a bride, a people. See, I was on a nonstop flight to the big city of destruction. I mean, just like on the way. But praise God that he was active. He redirected my flight changed my life, removed the heart of stone that was hostile towards God, uh, replaced it with a heart of flesh that then desired just like totally foreign things to me. Like, I want to read my Bible? That doesn't sound fun. It, It did. It became delightful. Prayer became delightful, joyful. The gathering of the brothers and sisters. I was telling our elders this morning, we meet every morning to every Sunday to, to pray before service and just how it doesn't really matter like how tired I am or what my, I'm just excited to be here on Sundays. I'm excited to just to be with my brothers and sisters and worshiping and just renewal, covenant renewal of just being reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's not based on my performance this past week. It's based on the performance of Calvary, of Christ on the cross who bared my sins once and for all. That is the good news of the gospel, the good news. That's why we say, hey, you need to be here weekly. We need this because I know that I need this. Brothers and sisters, the story of anyone who has been saved is just that. God removed your heart of stone and he gave you a heart of flesh. And if you don't know that reality, then brothers and sisters, let me remind you that this reality is available today. Which brings us to our second affirmation here that God is inclusive in restoration. God is inclusive in restoration. Look at verse 12. He says that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. So what this is uh, signaling here is that there will be future incorporation of Gentiles. Now, uh, Gentile just means not Jewish. Uh, some of you may be Jewish. Uh, most of us in here, uh, I can look and, uh, and I know most of you, you're, you're not Jewish. And what this means is that now sal- Gentiles are now included into God's plan of salvation. Uh, If you remember, the Edomites were the descendants of Isaac's son Esau, who had given his birthright away to Jacob. So, like, by default, uh, these people were not part of God's chosen people. Uh, They literally gave it away. On top of that, Scripture teaches us that these people, the Edomites, were, were hostile. They were uh, some of Israel's uh, biggest enemies. They were hostile toward Israel. There was a lot of enmity between them. In chapter 1 of this prophecy, if you remember, uh, they were actually judged when the, uh, Amos was going through the list of Israel's neighbors. He recognizes the Edomites and he says that they were actually uh, they were going to be destroyed because of their hostility 
their anger, their hate, their violence towards others. But here, a remnant of Edom is included in the plan of restoration. We also see the phrase, of all the nations used. Uh, Further showing God's plan of salvation is inclusive of people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Uh, We see further proof of this verse implying Gentile inclusion in the New Testament. Uh, In Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem uh, council, when they assembled to settle a dispute over how Gentiles, how non-Jews were to be saved without adherence to the Old Testament law of circumcision. And James actually, in his kind of sermonette that we get to read about, he actually references Amos 9 through 11. Uh, It's pretty cool, the New Testament's use of the Old Testament. We see it all throughout Scripture, how this book works together. But he basically just tells them that, hey, uh, through this, he uses this to kind of propose the idea and really propel the idea that Gentiles are included all along. God's plan of salvation was not limited to specific people because of their ethnicity. He didn't just pick a certain people because of uh, some type of uh, a plan that they had done or they had concocted. It was God's plan, and the Gentiles would also be included. He said, I'm going to restore my household from all the nations of the earth. Amos's audience would have been perplexed. They would have been like, why would you include these guys? Why would you include These hostile people. But here, God is showing His plan of restoration is not limited to particular people group. But rather, it is indeed offered to all. An immediate just application, very simple time to reflect and to ponder here. Uh, is just a a ponderance of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord for all of us who are Gentiles, who have now been included in the righteous plan of salvation. Knowing that this wasn't by accident, it wasn't just some second choice that God had made, but God, if you're saved, brother and sister, let me encourage you, you were saved before the foundations of this earth. God chose a people for His pleasure to bring glory to His name. We must also ask ourselves another question. Are we ambassadors for the gospel of grace? Like, is this the message that we're sharing to to those within our earshot? Those that we have their attention, those that we get to be in community and relationship with, are we trusting that God has, I mean, think back, look at your life. I don't know where exactly all of you live. I know where a lot of you live. Uh, I know most of you live here in Lynchburg now, but just think of how God brought you here. Think about your neighbors. Think about your people you work with, the stores you may visit frequently, people at the gym, different things, right? There is no accident. God has you where He wants you, and He wants you to live a life on mission for this gospel that you have been given. God doesn't stop saving when He saved you. People need to hear the gospel in order to respond to the gospel. Faith comes by hearing Hearing the word of Christ. We must be ambassadors for this. We we must not uh, shut down our proclamation when faced with opposition. We must not shut down our proclamation when, when things get a little awkward. But we must be people who are boldly declaring and presenting this offer salvation to those that God has brought within our midst. 
in his kindness and for his glory. God has chosen people from all over the world, all walks of life, to be the redeemed family of God. That's a beautiful thing. And this is all on account of His great mercy displayed to us in Christ Jesus. Let this be our boast from now until eternity. Praising the God who included us in His plan of restoration. Amen? Look at verses 13 and 14 here. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Here we make our third affirmation. God is munificent in restoration. Uh, munificent just means extremely generous. It's, it's just beyond anything you could comprehend. Uncomprehend. Hendable generosity here. Like over and over, like you, you, you can't understand the blessing that is to come for the redeemed. Verse 13 paints this picture of kind of agricultural perfection where there will be no time gap between planting and reaping. In fact, the reaper will actually catch up with the sower. Um, now, most of us in here don't farm. There's not a ton of farmland in Lynchburg and the surrounding counties. So this may not hit quite as hard. But for Israel, listen, this is how they ate. I mean, they, they, had, to, they had to plant. They had to work. They had to, to soil the, the ground. And so the time between harvesting and planting for them was about six months historically uh, we see that. So this implies that the harvest will be so great for them, there will be not enough time in those months to bring in all the food. Like they're just going to, it's going to be so much. It will be a time of great prosperity. We read that the mountains will drip sweet wine, illustrating an overflow of blessing from the Lord to his people. Everything that they could ever dream of, they could ever want, they could ever desire, they could ever need will be provided lavishly. This has similarities to the Garden of Eden before the fall, right? Where for Adam labored, right? Work came before the fall. Uh, for all of you that don't like work, <clears throat> came before the fall, but it was supposed to be a lot easier. Remember, one of the curses was now by the sweat of your brow, by the thorns of the, the thicket. Like, it's going to be a lot harder to actually to, to reap and sow there. But verse 14 continues the picture of paradise regains. As we read, I will restore the fortunes of my people. We are told that they will have to plant new vineyards to accommodate the overwhelming extent of the blessings of the new. Like, you're going to have to plant some more. You're going to have to add more because it's going to be so beautiful. So much blessing. Brothers and sisters, this is a picture of restoration far beyond they could ever imagine or what they ever deserved. But once again, it is God who is at work. He says, I will restore. I will provide. I will, will do this for you. And that's a promise to us all who are sons of the King. 
It's a promise to us all who, who, who have been saved, redeemed, and, and set apart. So we've seen that God is active in restoration. God is inclusive in restoration. God is munificent in restoration. And lastly, we see God's plan of restoration is eternal. It is eternal. He says in verse 15, I will plant them on their land. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So it is not an agricultural view in store anymore. It is now the people of God who are being described as being planted by God Himself. And the picture here is that the planting will be so secure that nothing can uproot them. You ever had any nasty weeds in your your lawn or your garden that just like won't go away and you're trying to, to, to uproot them and it seems like they just will never, you can't get rid of them. Well, we won't be weeds, but we will be so rooted in eternal blessing from the Lord God that nothing can take us away. This is a picture of the eternal preservation of God's people as He keeps them safely rooted in His eternal kingdom. And listen, if God has saved you and placed you in His eternal kingdom, there is nothing that can remove you. You are safe and secure for all eternity. Jesus speaks of this as well in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. Here's what he says in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. They, they, I know them. They follow me. He says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father am one. He says, these are my people. I've got them. I saved them. And there's nothing that can happen to them once they're mine. God will carry out His plan of restoration. There's nothing that anyone or anything can do to stop it. So for my brothers and sisters who carry the burden of anxiety, let me encourage you, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. You've been saved by a God who loves you, who sent His Son to die for you. Be encouraged. You know, I have conversations with, with people sometimes, and they're like, well, you know, it, it, I'm doubting, and, you know, I, I don't know if I'm desiring the Lord enough. I'm like, hey, be encouraged that you're desiring the Lord. Let that be a mark of your salvation. To my friends who think they may have sinned too much and have gone too far, let me encourage you today that your performance doesn't matter because it is God who saves. You can't run too far from God because guess what? God is everywhere. He is omniscient, omnipresent. He knows all and sees all. He knows you. He loves you. And if you're here today, it's in the kindness of His grace that you are. To those that think they may be excluded for some reason or another, let me remind you that this text teaches us that if you are hearing this message, that salvation is available to you. 
And for those that can't imagine what eternity will be like, be encouraged that it will be far better than you can ever imagine. As God lavishes us with eternal blessings beyond comprehension. When the city of Rome fell to the Visigoths in 410 A.D., St. Augustine wrote this to the church to help them process the chaos that they were seeing unfold in the world around them. And he says this, he says, I quote, Rome has collapsed and your hearts are outraged by this. Rome was built by men like yourself. Since when did you believe that men had the power to build things that are eternal? Your souls filled with the light of the Holy Spirit will not perish. Brothers and sisters, let us too have confidence in the promises of God that He will never let His people perish. That He will carry out the plan of restoration as we've seen throughout this prophecy. Regardless of what we see happening in the world around us. And then let us be a people, especially as we enter into this week, as we enter into this Thanksgiving holiday, let us be a people of thanksgiving. Not just this week or on a specific day, but every day. Giving praise to the God who saved us because guess what? We couldn't save ourselves. As God promised the Israelites, as God promises us today, there's hope, there's restoration, and it's all through Jesus Christ. Let us proclaim that until we're with Him in eternity. Let's pray.